0: Would you stand, please? Bill's going to come this morning and read our scripture for us.
1: When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord... you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. This is the word of the Lord from Luke, chapter 2, 22 through 32.
0: Man, thank you. You may be seated. Well, anytime you take to the open road, driving through the wide open spaces in Oklahoma and Kansas and other places around the country, really all around the world, in big, wide open rural spaces, you'll see lots of wind farms these days. For miles and miles, looking to the left and the right in those areas you'll see those big white wind turbines and wind energy has become such a popular source and a very big career field for so many people But one of the major problems with wind farms is bird strikes. There's a a huge issue, and try not to picture that too much in your mind, okay, uh, of bird strikes. And and scientists have tried to study and figure out why is it that of all the things that birds are able to see and avoid, they, they seem to not be able to notice these huge, giant wind turbines that are spinning. And the reason is because... There's a problem they've identified that's known as motion smear. And for whatever reasons, the ways that that birds see, they just don't notice with those spinning white turbines uh, what's actually taking place and that there's an obstacle in the way. And so some scientists in Norway started looking at some solutions that might be able to cut down on bird strikes on wind farms. And they experimented by just painting one of the turbine blades black And they say over a period of months, bird strikes were cut down by 70% just by painting one black, just by taking away that motion smear effect so that birds might be able to see. And as a lover of birds, I'm so thankful that somebody cares about the birds. It's not just all about the money. And this little strategy seems to be working. We come to these stories here at the end of our, our Advent season. And the people of God in ancient Israel and all around the the cities where these stories took place, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, so many people were living with what they would have considered to be very blurry vision. They couldn't see forward, and, and it looked at times to them like in these dark days in which they were living, maybe God's promises weren't actually going to be fulfilled. Maybe God really wasn't listening to them anymore or paying attention. Maybe it was just going to, to be this way forever or, or even worse. And for so many people, it was like living in a fog and living in a haze. And as we read these stories and we read about God's people during these days, you sense the heaviness of the times in which they lived. But there are also some people, and many of those people we read about in the Advent stories people like Zechariah and Elizabeth and, and Mary and, and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds and, and today as we'll come to the last two witnesses to see the savior who's been born Simeon and Anna Simeon and Anna like the others they in those dark hazy blurry times they, they were paying attention the, the eyes of, of their, their heart their spiritual eyes were open they were still living even in the midst of the darkness in full surrender to God and they were living with a hopefulness and a confidence about God's promises, and still with an expectancy that someday the Messiah would come. It's amazing to see these people who God invites in, no, he welcomes into the story of the Savior's birth, living in surrender, perfectly ready to do God's will as they find it. Simeon and Anna are The last two witnesses to whom heaven came down during the Advent story as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. And we meet them with Joseph and Mary, not in Bethlehem, but back in Jerusalem. And the reason that Joseph and Mary have come back to Jerusalem is because they're a good, young, Jewish couple. And they want to raise a faithful Jewish family and they know that according to Leviticus 12 that there are still some steps to be taken according to the law with their child who's been born. So they're near enough to Jerusalem that they come back to the temple and they begin going through this process that the Old Testament, the Hebrew law, requires. The first thing they do before they come to the temple is on the eighth day, and the reason the eighth day is important is because this is the moment when the woman is no longer considered ceremonially unclean on the eighth day they circumcised Jesus and then they named him and we see the same thing happen back in Luke 1 with John the Baptist Zachariah and Elizabeth are also being very faithful to the law and and they want to start off their family in this way just as God had commanded and by the way next year starting in, in January we're going to be looking deeper into the life of John the Baptist the first series of the year is going to be called prepare the way and we're going to be looking into the biblical stories of John the Baptist and his life and the very unique, special calling that God gave him to prepare the way by announcing that the Messiah would come. Well, Zach, and Elizabeth did this with John, and Mary and Joseph did the same thing with Jesus. They circumcised him, they name him, and then a few weeks later when he was 40 days old, again according to Leviticus 12, they brought him to the temple that he might be presented and dedicated to the Lord. They also brought with them an offering which was commanded in the law, but the offering that was usually expected Was that someone would bring an actual lamb with them to sacrifice Luke tells us though that Mary and Joseph brought with them the birds They brought what's called the poor offering Which means at this point in their lives? They they still didn't have the means the resources to provide an actual lamb So we see again their their humble circumstances Just the incredible ways that God brought this very ordinary couple into this extraordinary circumstance and that the Savior was born as part of their family. But make no mistake, and I love the way so many ancient Christians point this out, though they brought their birds as the poor offering, they were carrying a lamb when they came into the temple. They had the Lamb of God in their arms. The Lamb of God, Jesus, who years after this would be the perfect Sacrifice given for the sins of every single human being, including yours and mine. They carried the Lamb of God. They came into the temple. They prepared to dedicate him to the Lord. And yet, little did Mary and Joseph know that once again, God had a surprise encounter for them. They were going to meet another new friend who, as heaven came down in these beautiful moments, God brings into this story that that this new friend would also witness the Savior who had been born. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 25, we meet Simeon. Simeon is, Luke says, an older, righteous, and devout man according to the law. He was a layman, not a priest. He committed his life to serve the Lord and to serve others. And he lived as one who was always prepared and always ready for the next thing the Lord would call him to do. We're also told that Simeon was waiting for what was called the consolation of Israel. What does that mean? Well, it's connected to the promise that he had heard from the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Messiah. This idea of the consolation of Israel, it's what we read about in Isaiah just a few moments ago. It's what we'll read about in Isaiah next Sunday as we begin talking about John the Baptist. The promise that God had made to his people centuries before yes you're going to see some dark days yes there are going to be some times where you may even begin to question in your heart whether or not I'm listening to you but God will send his comfort he will send his consolation and that consolation is going to come through the messiah Simeon was one that even in the midst of all of that darkness He still was looking for every single day The moment that the Messiah would come and we see three different times in the stories of Simeon the Holy Spirit is mentioned Simeon lived according to the Spirit of God. He was always listening He was prepared and he believed that this promise That God had made him that God had revealed to him through the Holy Spirit was indeed true That he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah come to the earth Yet we have to wonder what it must have been like for Simeon as he kept getting older As the years passed and then as he got older he started counting the days And I can imagine Simeon saying yes, lord. I still believe But but time seems to be getting shorter as the days go by but here on this day the lord brought Simeon into the temple courts How many times before in his service to the Lord had Simeon perhaps seen a good Jewish couple dedicating their child to the Lord? He had no idea on this day that this dedication, this presentation was going to be the moment that he'd been promised. That he was going to see the Lamb of God, the Messiah, right there in the temple in his midst. The Holy Spirit was guiding him and and moved by the Spirit This moment comes where Simeon prays for Jesus and he blesses this family. The Spirit brought him to the temple courts and the parents brought in the child Jesus to do what the law required. And, And Simeon, isn't this unbelievable, he got to take up the Messiah in his arms. I wonder if he imagined the Messiah would come as a baby. I wonder if he understood all that prophecy from Isaiah. Now he holds the Messiah In his arms, and then filled with the Spirit, he prays this beautiful prayer. And I can imagine Simeon sounding a lot like Bill Harrington, who read the scripture for us this morning. If Bill was speaking Aramaic, it probably would have sounded just like Simeon's prayer. But aren't these words incredible? Think about the promises of Isaiah, think about all the annunciations we've heard from the angels and all the things that we've seen through everyone else in the Advent story, and now this older saint prays these words over the 40-day-old Jesus. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. You remember zachariah's song his prayer we call that the benedictus and then there's mary's beautiful song and prayer That we call the magnificat. This is the nuke Dimittis. This is simeon's song simeon's prayer That christians held close to their heart for generations after this and part of the reason for that was because What the spirit led simeon to pray and to proclaim over this child was not just That the Savior was born for Israel. Yes, this is light for the glory of your people Israel. But just like Zechariah, just like Mary, when they were filled with the Spirit, the reminder was that this child is also good news for the nations. It's not just for one family. It's not just for one tribe. It's not just for one type of people. But this Savior has been born as God promised for every tribe. For every tongue, for every nation, a light to the nations and the Gentiles. And Simeon's words about the child Jesus remind us of those prophecies. They remind us of the magnitude of the Savior's birth. As Isaiah wrote, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And Simeon's praying that kind of of prayer, the the scope and the magnitude of what the Savior's birth means and and who all it's going to affect, including us 2,000 years later, sitting here singing about it and talking about it. The scope is beyond what anyone can fathom, and yet Simeon, in such a personal way, like we've seen in the other stories, gets to hold the Messiah in his arms. I love the way Simeon says here, Lord, you can now dismiss me in peace. I am ready to go. He has one foot in heaven at this point, and he knows that soon he will receive the final part of his long-awaited promise. He's now seeing the Messiah with his eyes and soon he will see the fullness of his kingdom. Simeon, though, had a little bit more to say, reading on just a little bit more into Luke 2, verses 33 through 35. This is another one of those moments where Mary was was treasuring up in her heart all that God was doing, but this time Joseph also is mentioned. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simeon blessed them Like we we do at the end of our services, just a a blessing in the Lord's name to to brothers and sisters. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Again, the magnitude and scope of this child's birth This child is going to set everything right. Everything that is wrong is going to be made right. Everything that is hidden and secret is going to be exposed. The thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed. And not all of that is going to be beautiful. And not all of that is going to be pleasant. And there are many who are going to speak not for the Messiah, not in his favor, but against him and against his word. And though the magnitude and scope of this is is beyond what we can fathom, again, it's also very personal. As Simeon says, and Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. As his mother, you should be prepared for what's going to happen in your own soul, your own heart, and your own life in the years to come. And God is at work through this child just as he's promised us for generations. But God had one more person for Joseph and Mary to meet in the temple that day. Right after Simeon finished his blessing, here came an older woman, another godly saint, another person who was waiting with hope and and confidence and expectancy for the Messiah to come. Starting in verse 36, there was also a prophetess named Anna, a daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, And she was very old She lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84 She never left the temple But worshiped there night and day fasting and praying So anna also is a wise older person She was a widow until she was 84 years old And she's called a prophetess, which is a word that perhaps sometimes in baptist churches hits our ears a little bit funny but She's not the only one to get this title even in the New Testament. We'll find others Later in the New Testament women who are called a prophetess She's also in line of others like miriam and deborah and Huldah, who were prophetess in the old testament And each of these women They they have this special gift that the lord has given them that that they're known for for receiving some of the deep truths that god reveals And then speaking them to others just as God tells them to do. And that's exactly what Anna does in this story. When she sees Jesus, her very next step, as we'll see in a moment, is to go and tell others, like the shepherds, like others we've seen in the story. That first inclination is immediately to go to others and proclaim, I have seen the Lord. But we're also told here, and this detail is really important that we don't miss that Anna was from the tribe of Asher. If you remember back to our study of the kings this summer, early on in the story of the kings, the nation of Israel split in two. You had the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was in Judea, and you had the northern kingdom. And all the way now, hundreds of years later, those two kingdoms are still split. Asher, the tribe that Anna comes from, is from the northern kingdom. And we learn about this later on in Jesus' ministry. People from the northern kingdom, for the most part, they don't come to the temple to worship. They don't live in the temple, worshiping, fasting, praying night and day. They go and worship on a mountain somewhere in Samaria. But here in this moment, this symbolism is so important. Not only are the Jews and the Gentiles represented through what Simeon has prayed, but also the southern and the northern kingdom, the divided kingdoms are together And this is a reminder that the good news of the birth of our Savior, yes, it's good news for every tribe, tongue, and nation, but it's also good news that heals broken relationships. That brings together, as we'll see throughout the book of Acts, brings together people who for generations were divided against each other and considered themselves enemies who now say we are brothers and sisters in Christ and we are united in one spirit. The northern kingdom is represented in the temple, too. And what they've been praying for, the consolation of Israel, what we're told in the next verse, that that Anna began, after she came up to Mary and Joseph, she gave thanks to God. She began speaking about the child to all of her other friends who were there with her in the temple, who all were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So again, the good news is for the nations, it's for the consolation of Israel that the Messiah will come. But it's also as, as Anna and her friends would gather in the temple and they would pray for their nation. They would pray that God would heal their land. And they would pray that God would, would unite that which was broken and divided. And here the Messiah is in her midst. And this group of people praying for the redemption of Jerusalem, including Anna, who's from the northern kingdom, they're all a part of this story and the messiah indeed has come again like so many others we've seen in the advent story after witnessing the savior who had been born anna immediately went and began speaking about him to others we have the same call and we have the same commission god through 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 giving us his word has invited us he has welcomed us into the story of the Messiah, of the Savior who's been born. And we too have been given that call and commission as his people to go and tell others the good news of what Christ has done. Simeon and Anna are the last two witnesses we see. The last ones that Luke records that that heaven came down and invited them in, welcomed them into the story of the Savior who was born. And interestingly, Simeon and Anna have been called Old Covenant Saints. In other words, they were still living faithful to the Hebrew law, and they were living full of faith that the Messiah was going to come. But until this moment, there was something in their hearts and lives that was unfulfilled. They were believing. They were trusting. Coming back to those words I've used throughout, they were hopeful. They were confident More than that, they lived with an expectancy that this this day was going to come. but, But up to this moment, something was just missing. Now, on this, what probably felt like just a normal day, just another family coming to dedicate their child to the Lord, they had their spiritual eyes open. And Simeon and Anna did not miss what the Lord was doing. Even with all the darkness around them, they saw Jesus clearly jesus through whom all of those promises of god that they had believed now became a reality As we prepare for our time of invitation this morning i want to come back to those three words for a minute and i want to make them personal for each of us i want to ask you this morning do you live with hope with hopefulness do you live with a sense that that God is not finished yet, and He's not finished with you yet. And more than hopefulness, do you live with confidence? Through faith, do you believe that what God has promised, He will do, and that His promises can be trusted? And more than hopefulness and confidence, do you live with expectancy? Are your spiritual eyes open? Are you urgently investing in things that will last forever, namely the work of Christ and his kingdom? And are you watching expectantly for the second advent? Throughout this season, we celebrate the first advent. Christ has come. The Messiah, the Savior, has been born. And because of that, we can experience the salvation that only he brings. But there's also a second advent Do you live watching expectantly for the second advent, the second coming, when Christ will return to the earth? And when he returns to the earth, this time he will redeem his church. And when he redeems his church, everything that is wrong will finally be made right. And all that is dark will finally be overwhelmed by the light. And that light will expose everything that's hidden and everything that is secret And when all of that is said and done, the only thing left will be light, the light of Christ. Do you believe that today? Are you living with that expectancy in your heart and life? And today, are you prepared to share that good news with someone else as the Lord leads? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this wonderful season the many ways that we have been able to acknowledge how blessed we are, the thankfulness that we have for family and for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the thankfulness that we have for our church. Lord, I thank you for South Tulsa and the many ways that you have blessed us this year and this wonderful season that we've had together. Lord, I pray today that each and every one of us, as one year comes to a close and another one is about to begin, Lord, that you would help us to have eyes to see. That you would open up our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart. That we would live with a hopeful, confident, expectant faith. That your promises are true. And Lord, that you have called us to be a part of something that's so much bigger than ourselves. Lord, I thank you that among all of those who you invited and welcomed into the story of the Savior, you've invited us to. And I pray today that if there's anyone here who has never truly given their whole heart and life to you, they have never said, yes, I believe Jesus is Savior and Messiah and Lord. They've never committed their whole life to you, that today would be that day. Lord, whether they're here in this room or watching online, that you would draw them to you And Lord, as we've lifted up the name of Christ, that you would draw them in such a way that they know for sure you're speaking to their heart. If they're living with with a blurriness, feel like they're, they're stumbling around in darkness, Lord, anyone who feels that way today, would you clear their eyes and their heart? And would you speak to them during this time? Lord, we do thank you. We have so much to be thankful for. And most importantly, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray all of these things in his name. Amen.